This episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of The Christie Affair by Nina DeGormand, published by Macmillan Audio. This story is based on the real-life events of Agatha Christie, the popular and talented mystery writer. Agatha Christie woke up one morning in 1926, left her husband in bed, kissed her seven-year-old daughter, drove off in her car, and went missing without a trace. Christie was found 11 days later at a hotel where she was staying under the name of her husband's mistress. The real-life mystery writer had no memory of the 11 days, but the imagination of author Nina de Gourmont was sparked. She then wrote The Christie Affair, a tale of star-crossed lovers, heartbreak, revenge, and murder. The novel has received a starred review from Kirkus and Booklist and has been optioned by Miramax. So you're going to want to listen to this one before you watch it. And the audiobook is narrated by Lucy Scott, who appeared in the original BBC production of Pride and Prejudice, a real actress who nails this character. Get The Christie Affair on Audible, Libro FM, iTunes, Google Books, or wherever you get audiobooks. On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Today, we are excited to be chatting with Nina de Gourmont. Nina is the author of the acclaimed Meet Me at the River and Every Little Thing in the World, as well as the story collection of Cats and Men and the adult novel The Gossip of Starlings. Her work has appeared in Redbook, Harvard Review, Nerve, and Seventeen. She teaches creative writing at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and lives with her husband and daughter in coastal North Carolina. Her new novel, The Christie Affair, was just selected as the Reese Book Club February pick. Congratulations, Nina, and welcome to Pop Fiction Women. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So first, we just would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about The Christie Affair. The Christie Affair was inspired by actual events in 1926. Agatha Christie's husband told her that he wanted a divorce because he wanted to marry his mistress, a woman he'd been having an affair with for a couple years. And Agatha Christie was aware of this, but had hoped to wait it out and that he would come to his senses. He did not. Her mother had also died the previous summer. She was still kind of reeling from that. So he told her he wanted a divorce on the morning of December 3rd. That night, her car was discovered abandoned, sort of hanging over the edge of a lake with her belongings in the back seat, but she was nowhere to be found. And a massive manhunt ensued over the next 11 days. And the Christie Affair, the novel, takes these germs and imagines what might have been going on on her end of things during those 11 days. There's a lot to latch on to there. There's a lot of good, juicy tidbits, right? Yes. Well, we want to talk more about the point of view and more about the novel. But before we want to do a little bit of kind of gossiping. So we have had quite a few Reese picks on our podcast, but we have had them all before publication. And so they couldn't tell us and they didn't say anything. And then we would come out and be excited. But 
we never got the story. So we'd love to hear a little bit of the story for you, how that happened, what you felt like, and, and how that was for you to be a respec. It was amazing. <laughs> and how it happened was the publicity team at St. Martin's has just been incredible and working night and day to get something like this to happen. And they got the book to the people at Hello Sunshine and Gretchen, who's the book person there, read it and thankfully loved it. And about two months before the Christie Affairs release date, I was here in my office at school. I teach at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Jennifer Enderlin, my editor, called me and she was very excited and told me I was a respec and I screamed and jumped up and down. <laughs> and then she said, but you can't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm at work. Everybody I know just heard me scream. <laughs> right. <laughs> Luckily, they were very discreet. No one really bugged me about it. And, you know, Jennifer said, you can tell your husband. So I told my husband, um, I told one friend who's a lawyer, so I, I knew she could keep a secret. <laughs> You're talking to two lawyers. So. Just going to say, and one of us keeps secrets better than the other, and it's not me. So, <laughs> but yes, it seems like a safe bet right? with a lawyer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I did not tell, um, I have an 18-year-old daughter who I did not tell. And that was the hardest, but I knew that the chances of it ending up on Snapchat were largest if I <laughs> confided it to her. Not that she would do it, but she might cave and tell a friend. Slip. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. And I know, Thank like you. we said, the secrecy is so hard. It's really hard. I have to say, it was really hard for the first week, and then I kind of got used forgot to it. Forgot about it. Yeah. You're like, I, I have I to forgot about okay. it, but it was like anything else, you kind of become accustomed but how long did you have to hold the secret for? Like, how far in advance do they tell you? She's two, two months. months. Two months? Oh, I didn't hear that. Oh, my gosh. That's a long time. It was a long time. And I will say, my daughter loves Reese Witherspoon. She's a legally blonde mm. <laughs> yeah, fan. Sure. So I said, her name's out there. I said, Holly, do you like Reese Witherspoon? And she kind of looked at me like, you know I do. Yes, I like Reese Witherspoon. And then she said, do you? And I said, I love her. I love her so much. Oh, <laughs> she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so then on February 1st, the book came out. She made the announcement in her video, and I carried the video on my iPad into her room and said, remember when I said mm. I loved Reese Witherspoon so much? This is why. And oh, I showed her. Did she freak out? She it must was have... the most satisfying reaction yes. I can imagine. Yay. Yeah. Oh, my that's gosh. Great. That's amazing. I love that. So, okay. Well, now we do want to talk about the Christie <laughs> affair. So, as you said, the, it's the story is a reimagining of the 11 days that Agatha Christie went missing in 1926. And as a child, I was, you know, what teachers like to call a voracious reader. And I went on a bit of an Agatha streak. I used to just assign myself books. It was very strange. But I loved Agatha Christie books. And yet, I was still surprised when I was doing some research for this to read that the Guinness World Records list her as the best-selling fiction writer of all time, and her novels have sold more than two billion copies, which, I mean, I know she's Agatha Christie, but that blew me away. And so she was clearly ahead of her time as a career-oriented, rising female author in the 1920s. So she is like what we like to call on this podcast a complicated woman for many reasons, but one of which is at the heart of your novel, which is she had this mystery of what happened to her for those 11 days that's never been solved. And she omits it even from her own autobiography. So... We'd love to hear about your relationship with Agatha Christie and her work and really how the idea for this novel first came to you. So I'm going to go 
with something kind of embedded in that question first. And that's one of the things that really interests me about her that I didn't discover until I started researching the book is when she writes about her own work or writes about herself, she's very self-deprecating and humble in a way that I feel can't be altogether true. You know, she says she wrote her first book on a bet. Her sister bet her that she couldn't do it. She writes in her autobiography that she never thinks of herself as an author. When she has to fill out a form and include her occupation, she always writes married lady. And I just think for someone who accomplished everything that she did, she has to, for some reason, probably the time, maybe partly something in her personality, isn't willing to admit to this extraordinary ambition that she must have had. I mean, to write 66 novels, not to mention all the short stories, all the plays, the nonfiction. Once she married her second husband, she was traveling all over the world. I mean, this was a person with extraordinary energy and to me, clearly, a lot of ambition and drive. But for whatever reason, she did not want to cop to that. So I thought that it would be an interesting thing to sort of embed in the character that I created. So Kate, I was like you when I was a kid, also a voracious reader. I did not read Agatha Christie until I started writing this book. You know, obviously I knew she was, I'd seen a couple movies based on her novels, but for whatever reason, I wasn't really particularly drawn to mysteries when I was coming up as a reader, but I was really interested in the disappearance There was just, you know, you think of somebody who has accomplished so much, is such an icon, having this period of extreme vulnerability. And, you know, one of the things, the icing on the cake in terms of the fascination of this incident, when she was finally discovered, registered at a spa hotel in Yorkshire, she had signed in using her husband's mistress's last name. So that's kind of what was going on there. There's a story there, (laughs) which you told. Yeah. 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 And and we want to talk about the narrator because you, you, you do tell this book from the point of view of the mistress, Nano Day, in, in your novel, a fictional character based on someone real, that mistress. And tell us your inspiration for Nan, how you found her voice, and why you, you wanted to tell the story from her point of view. I'm getting already bits of why, because you want to be looking at Agatha. But yeah. yeah, you know, I thought that part of the devastation of an event like this and finding out that, you know, your husband had been involved with somebody else for so long would be the inside scoop that this person who just by virtue of the situation would be the person you'd least like to know anything about you would have all this entry into what was going on in your marriage and in your psyche and in your life. I mean, I think that's really frightening. And that makes it, I mean, I wanted to approach it too in terms of when I first got the idea, I knew that there had been a movie about the incident made in the 70s. So that was really the only thing I was like, do I want to write a novel about this? I read some articles. I went back and I watched the Dustin Hoffman and Vanessa Redgrave movie called Agatha. And in that movie, I guess if anyone wants to watch it, I don't want to give it away. But the actual mistress was named Nancy Neal. And Agatha hates Nancy. Nancy hates Agatha. And that's sort of the 
expected configuration with these natural rivals. So I wanted to do something a little bit differently where I could find points of connection between them in ways that they might ultimately become allies. Because I will say that Agatha Christie's life really took off after she was shed of this first husband. Hmm. She found somebody much better suited to her and her career and life, I think, really skyrocketed. Yeah, you're right. It's the more obvious thing is just have mistress, hate, wife, and call it a day, leave it at that. And there's so much more complexity and nuance in the points of connection, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. And so the opening of the novel is from Nan's point of view, and it's really one of the strongest I've read in a long time. So I'd like to read it. It's a particular feeling, the urge to murder. First comes rage, larger than any you've ever imagined. It takes over your body so completely, it's like a divine force grabbing hold of your will, your limbs, your psyche. It conveys a strength you never knew you possessed. Your hands, harmless until now, rise up to squeeze another person's life away. There's a joy to it. In retrospect, it's frightening, but I dare say in the moment it feels sweet, the way justice feels sweet. Man, I mean, so right out of the gate, you're setting such a strong tone for the book and for Nan's character in particular. And I loved how you really avoided this dreaded sort of unlikable label that could carelessly be ascribed to the quote unquote mistress and by making Nan really three dimensional. So was that important for you? And and how did you sort of accomplish that? I imagine, yes, because you did. (laughs) It was important to me, and I tried to accomplish it by giving her, you know, a family and a history and thwarted ambitions. It was important to me to make her somebody who would have liked to be Agatha Christie. She wanted to be a writer because of numerous reasons, maybe including talent. Who knows? Because she never did it. That didn't happen for her. And also, you know, she's our narrator. We're seeing things through her eyes. And she likes Agatha. I mean, I think if I had given her any kind of negative feelings or real sense of rivalry toward Agatha or any kind of pleasure, the harm she was causing her, that would have impeded making her fully rounded and certainly would have come between, I think, the reader attaching to her at all. Yeah, she likes her and she has a lot of respect for her. And I think you're right. It's because she had those similar ambitions herself. So it's a very subversive way, I think, to approach the mistress character. And that's what makes it so, so good. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those words, but you can't paint everybody who's in that same situation with the same brush. I mean, I'm a wife. I can bristle at that word, but everybody's a person who has their history and their reasons. So I wanted to give Nan a unique avenue into this relationship. So talk about subversive. There's another aspect of that for us that we saw here in the agency of the character. Mm -hmm. There are lots of reasons that women go missing in fiction and real life, often really dark reasons, and they don't make it back the majority of the times. This is a very different story in real life and also the one you created these women have agency. We see Agatha kind of as the architect of her own vanishment and then in her own life, just like Nan embraces her agency, confessing that she staked out Archie and engineered the affair. Now, aside from the fact that this is just good fiction writing, what was it about giving them that power that interests you and that you wanted to run with that? 
I do think that that's one of the compelling things about the story of Agatha Christie, that she went missing and the majority of the search for her was conducted as though they were searching for a body. You know, they were dragging lakes and looking in fields with threshing sticks. And, you know, I don't think anyone expected her to turn up alive. And the fact that she did and had created to whatever extent, she wasn't really willing to admit the extent she'd created it, but, you know, seemed to have gotten away on her own two feet makes it very unique and very privileged. So usually often women who disappear are found murdered either by a partner or a stranger. I edited an anthology of essays called Choice, where women wrote about different reproductive decisions that they'd made. And there was one essay by a writer named Janet Ellerby about going to a Florence Crittenden home when she became pregnant as a teenager in the 60s, maybe early 70s. But when we were doing publicity for that book, we would go to readings and always somebody would raise, it was always a man, would raise his hand and say, I was so interested in this essay by Janet Ellerby because when I was in school, there would have been this girl sitting in the chair in my class and all of a sudden she was gone and nobody would say where she was. There was no answer before or after the fact, but just suddenly she would disappear. So writing about Agatha Christie's disappearance the word disappearance, those are the things that were evoked in my mind and that I wanted to sort of connect and play with in the story. Corinne, I want to say too, we have exactly that same typewriter at home, <laughs> that little typewriter. <laughs> Somebody gave it to my husband as a present or a thank you or something. Oh, my husband gave it to me as a present. <laughs> we're talking about the typewriter on Corinne's bookshelf, which yeah. no one can see when they're listening. But If you see the picture, it's very adorable. I love it. It's a pen holder and I put pens in there sometimes, but I also put like little fortunes and tea bag, oh, like little cute inspirational. Uh, yeah. Look at that, know, Corinne. Quotes. I never there. even yeah. knew it had any kind of functionality. <laughs> I thought it was just adorable and decorative. It is. <laughs> Well, it's a pen holder, but it's so shallow that like the pens really stick up too oh. much. But so speaking of that, I want to talk about your writing process a little bit. Is it the same all the time? Uh, we understand that this book took five years to write and that you believe heartily in the idea that writing is revising. Is that right? Yes. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And I really don't, I'm really have a, I struggle through first drafts. I really don't enjoy writing a book until it starts to look like maybe it's going to be kind of good. So I really brutally pound out these horrific first drafts and then I enjoy writing them over and over and over again until they start to look like something somebody else could actually make sense of if they sat down to read it. And do you start over when you're revising or do you try to make that draft work? You try to shape it into something? What does that look like more if you're really pounding it, through that first draft? It depends on what kind of shape it's in. Mm -hmm. This book had so many moving pieces, some that were added as the drafts went on, that it really was a lot of starting from scratch. And there were aspects of the original draft, obviously, that remained there. But there was a lot of starting from scratch. And in this book, too, I'll say that I teach writing. And one of the things I've often advised students to do 
is to physically take what they're working on apart and, you know, move it around. And this is the only time I've ever actually done that myself. Um. I mean, there was a point when (laughs) I was working on it where I just had to take the whole thing apart and physically start moving around and looking at how the pieces were interacting with each other. So you print it out and you're saying you literally move the part? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could see that. Because this structure is so interesting. So it kind of makes sense now that you're talking about how you write um, because you alternate, you know, between the days and hours leading up to her disappearance, Agatha's disappearance, and then Nan's early life in London and Ireland. And then there's also this omniscient narrator. And there was, there's a lot, the structure is very unique. And so did that come to you in this revising process? It did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The first draft that I sat down and wrote, Nan's whole story was front loaded. It was only about 25 or 30 pages and that's how the book started and then once I figured out a few other aspects that the story was going to involve I realized that it needed to be I mean that was probably my biggest sort of breakthrough moment was oh of course Nan's story needs to be partitioned and happening concurrently in the narrative and that was sort of and I think that always happens like through you know you start a book I will say it took me five years to write it during those five years, there was a point where I put it aside and wrote something different because I was just mm. like, this is too hard. I don't know what I'm doing with this. Oh, wow. So a whole nother novel. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> just just in between. <laughs> yeah. But then when I went back to it, when I had that realization, that's what really made me realize that I had an idea that could work. So I have to ask you more about that. What made you go back to it? Right. So the novel that I took a break and wrote, it was a young adult novel. My agent liked it, but wasn't able to sell it. So while it was on the rounds, I was like, well, I've got to work on something. I'm going to be too obsessing over that. Oh, I'll go back to the Agatha Christie novel and give it one more shot. Oh, gosh. Um, Wow. And and I will say I have a tendency to, I've done that with a couple of books, like written, you know, a hundred and some pages and then just decided this is too hard for whatever reason and abandoned it. And then I go back to it a year later. See, this is like our thought that the universe, you know, brings you things at the right time. You know, that book that's been sitting on your shelf, you suddenly decide to pick it up and that was the time you needed to read it. It sounds like with your novels, you sort of know that it was, it was just time to go back. Right. And then that time was the time when clicked. I love that, which kind of leads me to my next question (laughs) in the universe, which is sort of a random question that I don't always have a segue for, but I like how I just did this. So we did mention we're both lawyers. We're kind of control freaks. And one thing that we kind Kind of, of. kind of (laughs) one thing that we have a side interest in that sort of lets us kind of get out of our own need to control everything is astrology. Oh, Yes. So we ask all our authors, what's your sign and do you relate to it? So Agatha Christie and I are both Virgos. Oh, Oh, I love it. You even know Agatha's. Oh, that's fantastic. Both born in September. Uh I have Taurus rising, Taurus moon. No, you're rising and your moon. Oh, you're a kindred spirit. That that interferes with my Virgo-ness a little bit, I will say, because I have aspects of being a Virgo, certainly in terms of my work, but I, I can be very lazy and I'm kind of messy. Oh, <laughs> interesting. That is a lot of earth though. Lazy is the negative connotation, but at the idea of earth being grounded and stuck where you are, that makes sense. But mutable earth and fixed earth, that's very interesting. The, <laughs> the, the qualities of them. Wow. Wow. 
And I will say, I, the reason I know this is because my mom, when I was growing up, worked for a magazine called Women's World, and she was friends with the astrologer there, and she did my chart when I was oh, a teenager. That's what I was, I'm so glad yeah. you said that. I was thinking, hmm, how, so you, <laughs> so that was when you were a teenager. Now, going through the rest of your life, has it been something that you think about or consult or use as a resource I or maybe in your I writing? Think- I don't use it in my writing. Okay. I think it's fun. It's yeah. fun to think about. And mm-hmm. my daughter loves astrology and she mm-hmm. reads tarot cards. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's the one thing I, I bought tarot cards and a book on it. I just, you know, haven't had any free time to teach myself that. Oh yeah. You know, you can go online. I actually, Hadley was interested in it and I happened to have a former student who I knew was giving online lessons. Oh wow. Um, so I signed her up for her classes. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah, she's really good at it. It's really fun. Oh, jeez. Oh, Cocktail party trick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe whenever we don't know, we never, it can go either way. But, you know, your rising <laughs> oh. sign and your moon sign, you have the whole thing. Yeah. And, I mean, we ask about the zodiac, but obviously we pay attention to astrology more than just the signs, you know, what's going on. It's a Leo full moon tonight. It's a, I'm a Leo, yeah. so it's just, I'm a little crazy today. Dig probably, in, but. dig in. Yeah. So uh, we also want to ask you what you are loving right now. Anything that you're reading, watching, TV, movies? Oh, gosh. Might be. I know. So I've been on a bit of an Ann Patchett kick. Uh-huh. I just finally read The Dutch House, and then I read um, her essay collection, These Precious Days, which is really wonderful and beautiful and comforting. You know, it's been a super exciting, wonderful time. It's also been a little anxiety. Yeah. So I've really been kind of looking for things that quell my monkey brain and calm me down. I loved a book by Jessica Anya Blau called Mary Jane. Hmm. Oh, I I have it right here. She's going to she's going to the bookshelf. It's actually too low. I'd have to get okay. off. Okay. <laughs> but I have it. Yeah. Have you read it? No, I just got it for a Christmas present. I found it to be just such an incredible delight. I heard. Good. Um, I loved it. And then teaching. So I'm mostly reading a lot of student work. Mm. I just read a book to blurb that I really liked called The Lindbergh Nanny by Mariah Fredericks that's mm. coming out in the summer, I think. Okay. Nice. Okay. And I wanted to ask you, we both listened to the audio book version Mm -hmm. of this and Lucy Scott was just fantastic. How did that process go? It was amazing. I mean, I had nothing to do with it and the British publisher, it wasn't St. Martin's, it was Pam McMillan who put together the audio and there was a different actor who was supposed to read the novel and then she got another opportunity kind of at the last minute wasn't able to do it and they hired Lucy who was so sweet and contacted me right away and then when they sent it to me I was just blown away I mean it's like having a full cast recording it it's is. a real performance it you know, just is. genius and she she you know, was had in very pride and prejudice to, I mean yeah she's yeah, a she's true real, actor real thing yeah didn't have much time to prepare but obviously took it really seriously and is just incredibly brilliant. So I feel so fortunate. And uh, like of all the sort of highs and lows of the process, listening to her do that reading was probably one of the 
greatest highs. Oh, that's so great. I love that. You got to right. hold on and to those. Yeah. There's a lot of highs. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that yellow sticker. Yes. I right. mean, you're, there are a lot of highs. A lot of highs, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, which is amazing. So congratulations, really. Congratulations, Thank definitely. You. Big hit. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you, social media? I'm on Twitter. Website. I'm yeah. on Instagram. I've got ninadegramont.com. All right. <laughs> Very easy to find. Okay, good. And are you active on any of those? Yeah, one more I mean, than I, the other. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure checking them a lot daily. Yeah, <laughs> lately, yes, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure, so, your number of followers has exponentially grown post it's, Reese. It's gone up a little bit. Yeah. So yes, if you go onto Instagram these days and tag me, I'm very likely to see it. Good, because I am checking it regularly. Good, good. And and are you just bowled away by the pictures and? people posting oh my gosh it's so great. yes yeah. it's so great oh. people are so creative yes um, they're beautiful and, and you know just like yeah with boas and pearls yeah. and, oh, and a lot yeah. of people have sort of staged it on a pile of agatha christie not i mean mm. just the creativity is incredible it, i mean even Bookstagram people who don't seem community. to like the book very much are like <laughs> creating these amazing photographs of it and i will say michael storings designed the cover mm. which i think is so beautiful nice. and so you know really lends itself to these great photo shoots and his website is amazing too he's got these beautiful ornaments and prints and drawings and everything it's oh wow worth a look yeah the cover just makes you want to go i want to go there like let's, yeah. right let's yes. do that i know even <laughs> if you didn't want to read the book i think it looks like a pretty thing to own it looks like it, it should does. be in a jewelry box that's right that's good well thank you so much nina for joining us today and congratulations again and the christie affair is available everywhere for you Thank you, Corinne. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much. 